Jesus' message of love and generosity still sells books by the millions. But are we listening when His love is strong enough to warn us against lying? Turn with our study leader, Dave Wardson, to Acts chapter 4, verse 32, and let's begin with a positive, encouraging example of a wealthy, generous man before we wrestle with a couple who tried to get in on the glory and paid for their duplicity with their lives. Doesn't it move you when you hear about gracious giving? My nephew, Timothy, he's an officer, second lieutenant in the Navy, and he's on a big ship, and he's even learned how to pilot the ship. And he talked about in his email about how carefully they need to maneuver through the sea lanes off Japan. Their mission is to keep the sea lanes open, to provide support and protection for Japan while all of their forces are dedicated in one of the biggest disasters since World War II that they're facing. And Timothy talked about how they had to dodge houses that were out there in the ocean that were just floating around. And thankfully, he said one of their missions is to collect bodies and then to give them over to the Japanese services so they can all be identified. And he said, thankfully, we haven't found any yet. That's one of the most amazing things. I don't think you're sitting there as an American saying, I can't believe that we're sacrificing. I can't believe that we have our worships there. Because it's part of your DNA that when we have tremendous needs, catastrophe strikes, we want to meet the need. Even if it's not our country, we need to meet the needs of others. What do you think is the source of all the caring, all the sacrifice? When you see a need whether it's a mom and a child that need infant formula or whether it's someone that you just find out that needs a home, you just find out that somebody in our church family has lost their job. When you feel that impulse inside of you, I need to meet this need and I need to find some of my resources and give it away, where do you think all that comes from? I want you to know that every bit of benevolence on planet Earth comes from God. Every bit of benevolence comes from the heart of God because God is love. Now, love isn't God because God's many other things, but one of the basic things that we all respond to is that God is love. And one of the things that love does is when you see someone in need, love responds. Love has to give. Love has to sacrifice. And that's the incredible, wondrous characteristic of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If you know Christ as your Savior, if you've been born again into God's family, one of the most dominating characteristics that should be in our life is that when we see needs, whether it's giving to the Japanese now to help them with their needs or continuing to care for those and rebuilding down in New Orleans this many months later, our heart is going out to Haiti. We're sending a bunch of our adults and kids down to Haiti this summer. I want to fan the flames of that passion to take of your own resources, your own possessions, and give them to others. As we think about what the example of the early church was, Dr. Luke gives us this picture of brothers and sisters like you, and we're going to find out that there's incredible encouragement. The first thing we're going to find out this morning in the passage is something that you'll all respond to, is that the early church, when there were needs... They responded, and this brought incredible encouragement within the body of believers. But the second thing I want to talk to you about is that the loving God of the universe, our Lord and Savior, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, 
He not only is a God of love, and I want you to know that in our society, that in evangelicalism across America, even among unbelieving people, if I write a book about God's love, it'll sell to the millions. If I smile and if I'm nice and I'm encouraged and make you feel good and I'm constantly challenging you to give money to the poor, that'll really sell. But in the second portion that we're going to look at today, looking at this snapshot of the early church, is something that I would never speak to you about if I was choosing what I need to speak to you about to capture your felt needs. Because it says something the American church, for the most part, doesn't believe at all. Is that the loving God... If you lie to him, if you deceive him, you might be dead. One of the things that down to the centuries have tried to happen is Satan's always trying to divide the God of the Old Testament from the God of the New Testament, as if they're two different beings. And I want you to listen to me really carefully this morning, because what I'm going to speak to you about the next few minutes could save your life. It could save your life. I want all the kids to know that. It doesn't make any difference. What I think God is like and what I create him to be. I don't make God into Dave Wurtzen's image. Dave Wurtzen can believe whatever he wants to about God, and it doesn't make that reality. You say, Dave, how do I know what God is like? Well, that's why we're going to open up the book of Acts. Because the Holy Spirit chose in the first century, after Jesus rose again from the dead, to have incredible men that were inspired by the Holy Spirit And they reveal to us these foundational documents. That's why we build our church on a chapter like Acts chapter 4. Turn to it in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And we're going to begin very positively. We're going to begin with this incredible idea of the encouraging power of gracious giving. Let's read it. It's a paragraph at the end. This is another one of Luke's summary passages. We had this in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and following. Luke tells us this incredible message at Pentecost, and then he tells us the results in the church. We've just had another method from the apostles. They're standing against the religious leaders that are trying to stop them. And now we have this incredible paragraph that summarizes what was happening in the early church. What was happening? What does it look like when you're really filled with the Holy Spirit? It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy person among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Now here's an example a very concrete example of one of the early believers and how they responded to needs. Joseph was a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. What a nickname. He sold a field that he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Man, you can just feel the uplift. You can feel the encouragement. Don't you feel encouraged after hearing those words? What's going on? First of all, how many of you love a group that's united? Man, they're one. They're not disagreeing. They're not fighting. They're united. The very first thing that evidence the powerful movement of the Holy Spirit among a group of people is that they unite in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that pours forth in a sense that they are family. They are brothers and sisters. We talked last week about the fact that we have our own people. 
And every one of you have your own people. Like this was spring break, so my middle son, Joel and Courtney, bring three of my grandkids, and they arrive at our house on Tuesday. And then they go down to Glen Rose, and then again on Thursday, Mary and I meet them. And man, we've been riding bicycles, and I've been pushing Blythe, who's now nine years of age, my special needs granddaughter. We had a special bike we can push her. And last night, I was with my own people. Anybody have your own people this past few days because it was spring break? God wants you to realize that everyone on earth that believes in Jesus, those are your own people. They become your brothers and sisters. Now, you're not going to be able to relate to all the believers on planet earth, but you can relate to the believers sitting next to you. Take a look at them. That's your brother. That's your sister. They know Christ is your Savior. This is your family. I want to motivate you that you need to begin. One of the things that that, that we're losing as Americans in our individualism is we're losing the sense of family that spreads out among the body of Christ. And these are your people. That's why it's so important for you to connect with smaller groups. It's why it's so important for you to connect with, with people that will know what your needs are, will know what you're facing. Why do you need to do that? Because when you're connecting with one another, you become aware of the needs that are there. And so when someone is sick, like Charlotte Miller had possibly a TIA last night, and we just heard about it this morning. We need to be in prayer for Charlotte. She's my sister in Christ. We need to get her through that because we're family. That's one of the most powerful things the Holy Spirit does. The second thing I want you to see is as they have the sense that they're family, they hold all things in common. What's yours is mine and what's mine is yours. This isn't a forced communism. We're going to find out later, and when the negative part of this message, we're going to find out that nobody was forced to give up their property. I want every one of you, especially the young people, if you ever have a person telling you you need to sell all of your private possessions, come and give it to our particular leadership group, and you take vows of poverty, that's not a biblical mandate. The Son of God doesn't command you to give up the right of private property. In fact, if you do that, then everything caves in before he comes back, because right now, one of the driving forces in the world is your right to earn a living for your family, to have a household for your family, to have food for your family, The the Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not steal, and thou shalt not covet your neighbor's house or his possessions, his animals even. What's that all about? It's the right of private property. It's one of the divine gifts to you. Utopianism always seeks to take away the right of your own possessions. You can't freely give if you don't have anything to give. So the book of Acts is often misunderstood in this regard. But I want you to know something. When the Holy Spirit moves, you have a sense of oneness and you become family and you start responding to each other the way brothers and sisters respond. My son Joel called me up. There was a mess up in the mail. He needs money to get through for another week. I don't say tough bananas, Joel. I kicked you out of the house years ago. Man, you're in your 30s. Make it, man. You don't do that when you're a dad. If you got the resources, sure, you can, I'll loan you the money for a week. And then he wrote a check. He's a good adult son. He paid me back. Yay, it's a miracle. The Holy Spirit really is working. I want you to realize that we need to do that for one another, wisely, skillfully. The second thing I want you to see in this passage is the early church isn't just involved in meeting one another's needs as family, 
But they're also involved in proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. Look what it says. It says, but with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them all. And I want you to see that there's lots of people that respond. And no one claimed in the verse before that. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own. They shared everything. But they divorced that from with great power, they proclaimed the resurrection. I want you to understand that. As our church is maturing and growing, I want you to always keep together the social giving, giving to meet needs from Japan. My nephew flies for Samaritan Purse, and he'll be over in Asia. He'll be in Africa. Every time there's a need, I'll hear from my nephew, Keith, and say, Uncle Dave, pray for me. I'm in Tanzania or whatever it is, and we're meeting needs. I want us as a church family to realize that that's the heart of our Savior, But we must never divorce that from Jesus is the resurrected Savior. How many of you believe that? Because if you feed the world and don't tell them about the resurrected Savior, you're going to have well-fed people that spend eternity separated from the living God. That's not a good thing. The ultimate loving thing you can do is to proclaim to people that we follow a Savior that's risen from the dead. And we can do that right this week. People move with your personal invitation. I want you to be excited about proclaiming the resurrection. So we have family solidarity. We have proclaiming the resurrection, not dividing social issues from the proclamation of the gospel. And then we have this incredible example of, of, that Luke tells us that it's when a believer had needs, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money for the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Then he gives you an example. Barnabas was a, man, a Levite from Cyprus. Levites in the Old Testament in the land of Israel weren't allowed to have land, but they possibly could have land outside of Israel. This could have been Barnabas' wife's land. So we might have a wife in it. You'll have to ask Barnabas how he owned land as, as a Levite, but I believe that Dr. Luke knew more about what's going on in the first century than I do. The text tells us really clearly Barnabas was a Levite. He lived in Cyprus. I know objectively there were lots of Jews that lived in this eastern Mediterranean island. That's where Barnabas is from. He sees the need in Jerusalem and he gives to meet the need. And I want to pray that one of the first things that will really grow in the church family, that will keep increasing the needs, when we see needs in our family that will respond to them, everything from Haiti to Japan I want you to know there's Mission Midlothian that needs help. There's Freedom Counseling that needs help. There's Manor House that needs help. A lot of you are involved in CASA. There's not an organization in Ellis County just about that does social things to meet needs that doesn't have your brothers and sisters right at the heart of it. I want you to listen to what ACT is saying, and I want to pray that God's Spirit will move in gracious giving. We all respond to that. A God of love, everybody loves to give. It spreads. Even movie stars get in on that. Okay? But the second part is as the church family is exploding in this love, and as Barnabas has sold some land, the whole church is saying, oh, Barnabas, you've encouraged us so much. Widows are coming up to Barnabas, you might say, at church and saying, Barnabas, I'm so glad I wouldn't have had a meal and your, you know, the money that you provided enabled us to do that. And I want you to know with the church family, if you see needs, you can give it 
There's a group within our church family that will distribute those funds. And so you can have money that meets needs, that you can be confident that the Holy Spirit is enabling you to meet one another's needs. It's very important that we as a body of Christ keep that flowing. And as you see people without work, we want to respond to that. We need to network together. We need to grow in that. The second part, though, as God's people are experiencing this incredible love, you also need to realize that your heavenly daddy, through his son and through the power of the Holy Spirit that's working to produce this incredible family solidarity, he also is a loving God that loves you enough that he will discipline those that lie about their generosity. Did you hear what I just said? God is love. But the God of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is also a God that says, Thou shalt not bear false witness. Do you hear what I just said? Thou shalt not bear false witness. And that's what the next part of this is an incredibly weird passage. God's Spirit is moving. You all respond when Peter's able to heal a crippled man. Yay, yay, that's powerful. And that wasn't just human miracle. It wasn't just a human medical thing. It was God that was working. It's not true that the God of creation has disappeared from his creation. God shows up in our midst. We need to pray that God will show up in all the needs of health and economic needs. God's Spirit is still alive. But if you're going to believe that God's Spirit is alive to heal cripples through the power of the resurrected Christ, you also need to listen to what God's power might do if you lie. Look what it says. It says, now a man named Ananias, strangely enough, this is one of Daniel's three buddies' names that means Yahweh is gracious. So the guy, every time he heard his name, he heard Yahweh is gracious. So it's strange reversal on his behavior. Look what it says. Together with his wife, Sapphira. Sapphira means beautiful. That You'd hear the, the name Sapphira You'd hear with the, the idea of beauty. They sold a piece of property. So far, so good. Who are they like so far? Everybody tell me who are they like? Just like Barnabas. You see, that's the way you need to follow the text. P, uh, Luke just gave you, remember, Barnabas, good example. So far, so good. Ananth and Nanitz and Sapphira are following a good example. Some of you have followed really good examples. Then things go south. Look what it says. It says, with his wife's full knowledge, so they are in this together, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, was the wrong that he kept some of the money for himself? So far, we don't know that. In the text, the way that Luke is talking to us, I don't know that yet. Because I'm not sure what he's going to do yet. So as you're reading through it, and what would trigger me is, is this like the story of Achan? In other words, when Achan, uh, when they went against Ai, they weren't supposed to take any of the stuff. So Achan kept some of the beautiful wealth from Ai, and people in the Old Testament were destroyed because of that. And so when I'm reading this story as a Jewish person, I said, oh man, maybe this is an Ai story. So maybe the problem is that he kept some of what belonged to God. That could have been the story. So let's test it. Let's see what happens later on. It says, with his wife knowledge, he kept back part and brought the rest of it and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said to him, Ananias, how was it? This is the first thing I want you to see. Believers in this tremendous people movement, the resurrected Christ is moving their midst. They can be influenced by Satan, the adversary. Ananias and Sapphira prove it. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. He has insight into Ananias' heart. And so he says to, uh, to Ananias, 
How is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? It's the Holy Spirit that causes you to want to sell your land. When you see a need, as you hear about needs among your brothers and sisters in Christ, it's the Holy Spirit that moves you to want to be gracious. But the Holy Spirit doesn't move you to lie about how much you gave. That's what's going to be the big focus here. So I want all of you to realize that just like the powerful Holy Spirit's at work in our midst to help us to want to be generous with one another, there's a, a counter move because we're in spiritual warfare where Satan, and he is presented in the Word of God as a personal, thinking, feeling, willing being that's out to get you. So don't take him for granted. Don't just glibly say, oh, the devil made me do it. Dr. Luke is the same one that wrote about Judas. Remember it says, in, when we read the gospel, and Satan came upon him, and Judas left the disciples, and he sold the Lord Jesus for money. Luke is telling you stories about how money and greediness gets us in trouble. It got Judas in trouble. Luke wants you to read the Ananias and Sapphira story at the beginning of the church age, the way that you read the Judas story in relationship. There's some differences. I think it's possible that Ananias and Sapphira were true believers. I don't know, because when you act like they did, I don't know where you are. People always ask me, are they believers or are they not? I don't know. God's the one that decides that, not me. And all I want to say, if you lie to the Holy Spirit and God strikes you down, then I don't know. And that's what's happening. I want every one of you to know that if you've received Christ as your Savior, God's Holy Spirit is moving in your life, hopefully this morning. He moves you to be gracious. He moves you to want to join with God's people. He moves with you to want to treat one another like brothers and sisters. He encourages powerful actions that produce great encouragement and love throughout God's family. But the Holy Spirit also says to you, don't you deceive. Don't you lie. Don't you pretend. See, Barnabas just got a whole bunch of applause from the whole body of Christ, brought incredible encouragement. And I and Sapphira want to get into that. The Holy Spirit did move them to sell the land. In fact, what did Peter say? Peter says, he says, why have you done this? He says, you kept yourselves from the land. Didn't it belong to you? Look at verse 4. Ananias, didn't the land belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? That's why I know that they didn't force the confiscation of all private property. What does the leading apostle say? He says, Ananias, it's what Satan often does. This is stupid. If you wanted to keep some of the money, could Ananias have done it? Tell me. Would it have been wrong for him to keep some of the money? Could he have said, I need some of the money for myself? I want to give this to meet this other part of it. I want to give that to meet the needs of brothers and sisters in Christ. Would the whole church have been encouraged? Yes. What's wrong with what he did? He pretended. He lied. And what he was saying is the Holy Spirit's powerfully working in this believing, this early church, and they're graciously giving. There's integrity in this group. There's truthfulness in this group. There's real honest love between one another. And Ananias cheats on that. So Peter called him down and said, man, what made you think that you could do such a thing? You have not lied to men but to God. 
When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all those who heard what had happened. And then the young men came forward, wrapped his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said, how could you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door. They will carry you out also. At that moment, Sapphira fell down, just like Ananias had, and she died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out. And they buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the church and all who heard about these events. Man, that's a different story, isn't it? And that's what's almost completely lacking from American believers today. We don't have a God that we're afraid to disobey him. And I want to share with you, as we close this time together this morning, if you're a believer, if you're singing the praises of God, and you go out this week as a business person, I have unbelieving business people that will tell me, I don't trust born-again believers. I had a believer that just came to know Christ a few weeks ago that works in business. She said, I don't want to be like one of those born-againers. I said, why not? She didn't even know what it meant to be born again. So we worked on that from the Gospel of John and what it meant to be saved. She said, I don't want to be one of them. I said, why not? Because those born-again people, they cheat. I do business. They lie. I can't trust them. And this brand-new baby believer said, she said, if I decide to follow Christ... If I decide to trust in his death and resurrection, I want you to know something. It's going to be all the way. And I'm not going to cheat. And I'm not just going to come Sunday morning. I want you to know, Wurtson, I'm not just going to come Sunday morning and sing nice songs and listen to the scripture and be dishonest. And I love that. And I want you to join with me. I want every one of you to know, your pastor teacher, I would never in a million years tell you about a God that strikes some of his children down because they are dishonest. And they cheat on their generosity and try to fake out God's family. I would never tell you that the Father in heaven will strike you dead. But the God who's there He'll strike you down sometimes. Aren't you glad? How many of you are glad that he doesn't do that? Have anybody ever lied? Aren't you glad that God doesn't just strike us down? I am. One of the areas that the Lord's really working on me about is to be honest, to be truthful. I share with you all of my life, like Mary, my wife, is it's, it's black and white, it's yes or no, no in between. I'm a man of gray. And so everything from how many people came, I was raised, my dad saying, there were 150 people at the meeting and 125 people received Christ. And I would check out, you know, somebody else that was more of an engineer and a mathematician and say, Dave, there were actually 67 people there and there were 20 people that received Christ. And so one of the things I really learned is I started saying, no, there were about 105 people there. 
105 and a half, we had somebody that was pregnant. Because I want to be a man of truth. I want you to be able to, David says what he says, it's true. How about you? Because I want to realize that my daddy in heaven, you see, my daddy in heaven that produces this incredible love, this incredible spirit of generosity is also a father in heaven who's one of his basic characteristics is he tells the truth. And I can count on it. Aren't you glad for that? So as his spirit works in our heart, he's going to challenge us to be men and women of truth. No hypocrisy among God's family. What he did at the beginning of the church is very similar, like when Uzzah, back in the Old Testament, reached out and touched the holy ark, God struck him down. It doesn't mean that Uzzah's lost forever and ever and ever, but the Lord reminded his people, don't, don't presume on the holiness and the justice of God. He's high and lifted up. At the beginning of the church, as God begins to establish this new community of faith, a lot of you wrestle, man, we're saved by grace. Does that mean I can live any way I want to? No, it doesn't. If you've really responded to God's grace, then the resurrected power of Jesus came into your life, and I don't need to have on a tablet of stone, don't you bear false witness. Don't bear false witness. I don't need to have that come in. Because when you receive Jesus as your Savior, his spirit, the spirit of Jesus, makes you a truth teller. And to make sure that the early church didn't forget that as we begin this new wondrous age of grace, that it wouldn't mean the jettisoning of God's justice and his truthfulness and his dependability and his faithfulness. In his grace, he struck down a couple to remind all of God's people in Jerusalem, and now 2,000 years later, God encourages us to be generous. He disciplines us, sometimes even with our life, if we lie to the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. If you're sitting here going, Dave, man, I, I've lied. If the Holy Spirit's convicting you about that today, then God isn't going to strike you dead. Because he's the God of compassion that draws you to the cross. If you have lied this week, if you've cheated in business, if you've cheated on relationships, then as you hear this message this morning, Ananias and Sapphira are screaming at you, repent. Come back to your daddy in heaven. Let his son's death on Calvary. That's why Jesus had to die. Because lying is that bad. Because trying to fake generosity and being a hypocrite is that bad. The evil is dark and it's destructive and it's, it destroys. And Ananias and Sapphira warn us this morning as God's children. Let's be men and women, young people of truth and genuineness and authenticity. 